going to read from uh, the book of Leviticus, uh, Leviticus chapter 16. I'm going to read the first 10 verses, and uh, it'll be on the screen for you to follow along as well. Um, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, if you're looking it up in a, a digital form. I'm going to start at verse 2 of chapter 16. The Lord said to Moses, warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. If he does, he will die. The ark's cover, the place of atonement, is there. And I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. When Aaron enters the sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on his his linen tunic and the linen undergarments worn next to his body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist and put the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. Aaron must take from the community of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. Then he must take the two male goats and present them to the Lord in the entrance of the tabernacle. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. Aaron will then present as a sin offering the goat chosen by Lot for the Lord. The other goat, the scapegoat chosen by Lot, will be sent away, will be kept alive, standing before the Lord. When it is sent away to Azazel in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. We're to jump down to verse 23. It says, through this process, he will purify himself and the people, making them right with the Lord. Verse 30, on that day, offerings and purification will be made for you, and you will be purified in the Lord's presence from all your sins. The book of Leviticus is a strange book. Okay, I, like I'm... I'm um, Many people have said, have been tempted to just kind of skip over it when reading through the Bible. I've read through the Bible beginning to end multiple times, a few times, um, and, and got to that point and it's like, I don't know, am I going to persist through this? And, and yet here's the thing. Uh, Le- Leviticus, though it seems kind of obscure, it, it, it's going it's to speak in critical ways um, that, that inform us as followers of Jesus. Um, if you skipped over the book of Leviticus, you, you would miss some really, some really important insights concerning who God is. Well, what's the nature of the God that, that we're attempting to approach? Your, your understanding of God would be stunted. It would be limited. And similarly, if you skipped over the book of Leviticus, your, your understanding of us as human beings, uh, the, the problem with humanity, uh, it would be stunted. It, it would be limited. Um, and kind of another caveat that's maybe worth it if you've never approached uh, the book of Le- Leviticus before is just kind of the, the warning, like, don't get squeamish about it. Like, there's a lot of blood and stuff going on in there when you're reading it. And, and, and I mean, maybe you get to score a point if you're a vegetarian, uh, but the rest of us have to acknowledge that in our society, we have removed ourselves from the process of slaughter and butchering of the meat that we enjoy. Like, you're favorite steak or hamburger or roast chicken didn't just kind of show up in Sobeys one day, right? We've been removed from some of these things, and that's part of what's going on here, is that um, 
in a, in, in a sacrificial way, a ceremonial way, in a ritual way, uh, there is the bringing of there's the bringing of animals that will be slaughtered and, and then will be barbecued um, and will some of it be consumed by the priest and in some cases those bringing it will consume it but it will be a celebration a ritual celebration um, of the people of Israel in ancient times so don't get too squeamish about it um, but we ask the question, but what's the purpose behind it? Like, like what, what's the relevance of it to us today? Why does, why does the book of, Hebrew, of Leviticus exist? Uh, and last Sunday, uh, Pastor Craig kind of set us up really well for this, uh, because you may recall that in the book of Leviticus, um, sorry, I get my books, in the book of Exodus, um, it starts with this kind of screaming question, where's God? Uh, the children of Israel, enslaved in Egypt, um, and, and they cry out to God for help. But by the time you get to the end of the book of Exodus, uh, the tabernacle has been built, and, and, there's, and, and it's, it's evident that God's longing is actually to be with his people, to be near his people, to dwell with his people. You get to the end of the book of Exodus, chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And it was exciting. Like God had come near to his people and there's wonder and there's, there's spectacle and there is awe. And there is a profound question. How can an unholy people dwell with a holy God? But if, as we look through the pages of scripture, as God reveals himself to us, uh, if we were to read from Genesis through Revelation, the first book of the Old Testament, Genesis through the last book of the New Testament, Revelation, we would discover that repeatedly God is demonstrating his character to us. He's speaking to us of his character. He is great and he is good. We refer to these as the attributes of God. So, so according to his greatness, things that are uh, his greatness include things like this. God is spirit. Um, God has personality. He is alive. Uh, God is his greatness. He is infinite. Uh, he is all-powerful. He is present everywhere. Uh, these are the attributes of God's greatness. But he's not just great. He's not just these amazing things. He's also good. Uh, he is uh, he is morally good would be one category, meaning that he is holy, uh, he is right, he is just. Um, not only is he morally good, but he has integrity. Like, he does what he says he will do. He's genuine. He's faithful. And he is love. We read in the pages of his, his benevolence toward humanity, his graciousness, uh, his mercy that is new every morning, and his persistence in, in pursuing us. God is, is great, and he is good. And so we say, how does, uh, how does a God like this, how does he possibly dwell with human beings? Most often we're not at all like that. And if you've been with us over the past few Sundays, then, then you will recall that we've been spending these weeks kind of between now and Advent uh, tracing the threads of the scriptures, of the Bible, 
such that we're exploring the big picture uh, that, that is, is presented for us. Well, what is the thread that ties Genesis to Revelation, and what, are, what is it that holds this entire document together? And, and we've already spent a couple of Sundays in Genesis and, 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 and discovered God created all of this. And, and some of us maybe look at that and, and wish he'd give us more details about how he did it, uh, but the fact is he did it, and it's, it's asserted over and over and over again throughout the pages of Scripture, God is creator. But humanity rebelled against God's leadership. Adam and Eve evicted from the Garden of Eden. The result was alienation between us as human beings, even in the most intimate relationship of marriage. Alienation between us and, and the, the created cosmos, such that the difficulty is, is, is entered, enters into our work alienation between us and God. Outside of the garden, man, things went from bad to worse really fast. Like the first brothers, one kills the other. Cain kills Abel. By the time we get a few generations on to to Noah, uh, Moses writes, the wickedness of man was great. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And yet God looked and he found some, like like Noah, whom he was able to declare as righteous. And then through Noah's son Shem and the family tree that proceeds, and eventually several generations on, we get to Abram, or who becomes Abraham. And God God says he's going to bless the world through Abram, through Abram's family. Last Sunday we found ourselves in Exodus and, and we've moved on. Abraham... Isaac, his son, Jacob, his son, the children of Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. But they found themselves hundreds of years later enslaved in Egypt. Um, Has God abandoned us? Will he draw near to us? And the answer by the end of the book is yes, he is with us and he will dwell with his people. But then this question remains, but how is this even possible? I mean, we've, we've, we've just witnessed what a terrible start humanity had outside the garden. How can an unholy people dwell with a holy God? And I mean, it's one thing to state the problem like this, but it's another thing to really kind of understand what's, what's up with God's holiness. It, the depth of the problem is lost on, on most of us. Uh, most of us don't understand what it means for God to be holy. Most of us really don't understand the significant problem of sin in our world. And and, and then third, most of us really have very little understanding of the complexity of of fixing the problem of of this great divide between between a holy God and an impure, unholy people. So that's where we're going to spend the the rest of our time together this morning, is kind of exploring this. Uh, Leviticus comes in the middle of the Pentateuch. Penta 5, first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, Leviticus is right in the middle, that's strategic. And right in the middle of Leviticus comes Leviticus chapter 16, which we just read, which speaks about the Day of Atonement. In Hebrew thinking, this is is absolutely central to what it means to be in relationship with God. And this conversation thread is going to connect us directly to Jesus. So if you have your sermon notes or if you've downloaded them from our website, uh, this is, these are kind of the primary points this morning. What does it mean to be holy? What's the sin problem? 
And how can we be made holy? Now listen to this. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. I am the Lord your God. You must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. For I, the Lord, am the one who brought you up from the land of Egypt that I might be your God. Therefore, you must be holy because I am holy. That was Leviticus 11. Leviticus 19. You must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus 20. You must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from all other people to be my very own. So maybe we need to understand what what this word is about. What does it mean for God to be holy? And he spoke it right there. It's about setting apart. Kadosh in the Hebrew. Uh, It's when someone or something has been set apart, has been marked off, uh, withheld from common or ordinary use. So we're beginning to get a bit of an idea But but it's more than just special. When we speak about the kadosh of God, the holiness of God, it's more than just special. We're speaking about God who is utterly flawless. Like he is perfect in every way. Some have argued that God's holiness is the most important single attribute of who he is. Like of all those attributes that we read through, his greatness and and, and his goodness. His holiness is at the very center of it because they fl- all the rest of them kind of flow out of this character of who he is. And, and his holiness becomes our motivation for, for moral goodness. Like, why does anybody want to be good? Well, we've been made in the image of God. He is good. We long to be that. Why, why does anyone want to be great? What's up with human ambition? God is great. He is ambitious. We long to be like God. It's something that that, that is innate to us and this connection to who we've been made to be. We want to be like him. We want to be great. We want to be good. And God's holiness is the motivation to an attempt toward faithfulness in our our pursuit of God. We begin to see him and we begin to realize that he is is holy, he is good, he is great, he is is precious, like more precious than the purest of love from from the best spouse or or the best parent. He is is more valuable than than all the diamonds and rubies and gold and and emeralds and amethysts in the world times times a billion. Even even the picture of the universe shows us something of the, the magnificence of who God is. They say the, the universe is 93 billion light years across. 93 billion. Now, if that doesn't make you feel small and potentially insignificant, I don't know what does. And yet, if it doesn't show off the greatness of the one who has created it, the greatness of the one who has sustained it, then I don't know what does. Consider the immensity of the one who has called us, and he says, be like me. Be holy as I am holy. And we're like, what? How can this be? Like, what, in what universe is anything like this possible? God is so immense, and we can only begin to, to comprehend him. Ought this not bring us to a place of fear and trembling? Like, we were where we say before such greatness, before utter purity and goodness, uh, before such power, uh, and, and the writer of Proverbs would say, yes, yes, absolutely. Proverbs 19, verse 10, or 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, so now we're getting somewhere. The fear of the Lord 
It's the beginning of wisdom. Uh, I, when I was in junior high, uh, I was the first year, first class of uh, the junior high, we had inherited the, what had formerly been the senior high school. Um, it, meant that, um, it meant that the science labs uh, and the shop uh, were, um, how do we say, equipped for students more mature than we were. Um, now, I suspect, I suspect that junior high boys are, are, are more mature today than they were in my era. But um, in order to affect safety in a place where such power was present, it was necessary to instill a little bit of fear um, uh, among us. And so in shop class, when it came to the welding unit, uh, one of the axioms was A before O or up you go. Okay, so when, when you're welding with acetylene um, gas, uh, there's a highly pressurized tank of acetylene, um, there's another highly pressurized tank of oxygen, and the two meet um, with, uh, you spark it with fire, you now have flame, and it's powerful. Uh, you can cut through steel with an acetylene torch. Uh, you can put two pieces of metal together and, and, and make a little pool of, of steel and meld them together, actually link them together. But... A before O, or up you go. If you turn the O off first, if you turn the oxygen off first, it has the potential of sucking the flame back into the hose, into the tanks. <clears throat> serious, serious injury, if not death. So, so, so we, treat potential, we, we treat powerful things with great care. With, with, with special attention. If you're an electrician, you know this. Like, you don't just go ripping wires out of the wall without knowing what you're dealing with. You take very special precautions. If you're a homeowner, you don't just start taking the gas lines that feed your, your gas furnace and rerouting them willy-nilly. Like, these things are potentially disastrous if managed without proper care and attention. This relates to the concept of God's holiness. As modern thinkers, uh, we've come, we, we come to think, and this, there, there's truth in this, so, so don't misunderstand me. We come to think of God as inviting us into friendship with himself, which is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a, an amazing thing. If you've turned to the Lord and believed on Jesus to restore you in relationship to the Father, you've now become a son or a daughter of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. He, he is our brother. Like, this is extraordinary. It's wonderful. It's familiar to us. But none of the rest of the, the attributes of God have changed. He is still holy. Uh, which then leads us to another problem, and that is the problem of sin present among us as human beings. So, so we ask, what's, what's the sin problem? We saw humanity outside of the garden quickly demonstrating the depravity of the human condition. I, I mean, immediately. Apart from God, we are an absolute disaster. We are a, a, an utter mess. We are unholy. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul describes it this way. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, he says, Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, if you're like me, you, you, we're inclined to minimize the seriousness of sin and say, look, is it, is it really that big of a deal? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Sin is a huge deal. This is a life and death deal. This is a handle it, handle it very carefully. 
kind of deal. This is an, if you don't attend to this issue, you will spend eternity separated from God kind of deal. So, so, so let's try to maybe get our minds around the idea of, of sin. I, I have a, a cool, refreshing glass of water here. Came from the tap, drawn from our well, um, filtered with uh, ultraviolet light. Um, it's good. It's good. Now, I'd be glad to offer you some of this. Um, uh, how much COVID can I put in this? And you would still say, yes, I will drink it. Um, maybe you'd prefer cyanide. How much cyanide? Like, I'm not saying the whole glass of cyanide. I'll just put a little bit, just a little bit in. Uh, how much cyanide would, uh, would you be willing to consume? And the answer, of course, is, is none. I want pure water. Thank you very much. Right? How much anthrax would be acceptable in the ventilation system of your home? Right? I mean, none of it. The problem with, with sin is that just a little bit spoils the whole lot. This is the problem with sin. I, I know you're not as bad as Adolf Hitler. Okay? Um, but it only takes a little bit of impurity to infect the entire batch. The sin infection started with Adam and has continued to infect humanity in every generation since. And yes, some are far sicker than others, but we all have the disease. And so we've got a holy God, and we have an unholy, impure humanity, and the two cannot exist. There are places in the scriptures where it describes God as a consuming fire. Well, if God's holiness is fire, our sinfulness is gasoline. And the two cannot coexist. Bring gasoline into the presence of fire. What can possibly be done? How can this terrible disaster be averted? How can we be made holy? For, for the Hebrew people, the book of Leviticus provided the answer. And it, begin, and it points us to the answer as well. For the Hebrews, God offered specific instructions and explicit ritual that would purify the people. Multiple times, Moses describes in Leviticus a serious problem. And God's spoken to it. It's a specific sin or it's a condition. And it's made someone ritually unclean. It didn't necessarily mean they'd sinned. Uh, skin condition didn't necessarily mean they'd sinned, but sin under, under lay, underlaid, underlied, underlay this, this problem. And so, ritually unclean, you could not approach God. You could not come into his presence. Uh, Moses then described steps necessary, steps that could be taken. Uh, they were involved. Uh, they were expensive. Um, but But those steps would lead you to ritual purity so that you could come into the presence of God. Uh, and then there are multiple times there's statements like this, Leviticus 4.35, through this process the priest will purify the people from their sin, making them right with the Lord, and they will be forgiven. This is amazing. Forgiveness of sin is possible. The poisonous water can be purified and become drinkable. That the toxic air can be filtered 100% fresh air, mountain air. But the process is involved and expensive. Creatures will die. 
A graphic picture of the cost of sin unfolded before the Israelites every year. Each animal slaughtered, presented in the right way, consumed, uh, was a reminder that God is holy. Humanity's sin is very serious, and it will require a life for a life to atone for sin. Your sin will cost you your life. Impurity cannot and will not soil a holy God, gasoline and fire. The sin must be washed away. It must be dealt with. It must be atoned for. Can a glass of poisoned water purify itself? It's impossible. Can can an HVAC system somehow detoxify itself? Ridiculous. Uh, Someone else, something else needs to happen. Atonement. Atonement, at one minute. That's maybe just a, a helpful memory trick for you. Uh, the pro- being restored to oneness with God, atonement. The, the rituals uh, of Leviticus provided restoration of relationship, restoring oneness for the people of Israel. Uh, spiritually, uncleanness would lead to death, but holiness would lead to life. To move from death to life, sin must be atoned for. So the the sacrifices described in Leviticus were were only temporary. Uh, They they were repeated regularly. They really really couldn't do anything but remind us of what what was necessary. The Day of Atonement, which I read about earlier, happened annually. The Old Testament prophets, they would say, look, what God is really after is the hearts of his people. These are tools to lead you to understanding, to lead you to a place of genuine sorrow for sin, to to lead you to a place of sincere worship for God, to to lead you to a place of of tangible concern for the victimized victimized of our our people in our sinful world. Represent me, effectively, is what God's saying. Represent me in this place that I have put you And the writer to the letter of the Hebrews, toward the end of the New Testament, he writes this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, for it is not possible for the blood of goats and bulls, sorry, the bulls and goats to take away sin. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a holy, a body to offer. You are not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written about me in the scriptures. And and if that causes you to pause, then I think Jesus' close friend John, writing the gospel of John, is perhaps particularly helpful for us here. John begins his gospel and he says things like, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We come to realize he's speaking about Jesus. And he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, John goes on, he describes John the Baptist, chapter later, seeing Jesus and saying, behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, Jesus himself would say things like, um, I and the Father are one. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. 
One of Jesus' disciples, one of his followers, Simon, says, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus' reply is, I've been with you all this time. Do you still not recognize me? And so as we continue to follow this thread, which, which ties the entire Bible together, we're going to discover that these, these sacrifices in Leviticus pointed to the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. God himself would come. He would atone for our sin, and it would be involved. It would be very costly. He would become the ultimate and final sacrifice, the, the sacrifice that all preceding sacrifices pointed to. In a few moments, we're going to observe the Lord's table uh, together. Which The Lord's table calls us to, to attend to this enormous, unparalleled work that Jesus has done. If you're a follower of Jesus, this table is for you. But first, consider this. He doesn't just call us to be holy, set apart like like a china figurine on a shelf. He calls us to be useful, to, to emulate not just God's goodness, but also his greatness, to be present in our world in transformative ways, in meaningful ways. We're called to holiness with eternal purpose. Represent me in this world. The Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 15, he writes this. He says, I have written you, so Paul's writing to the church in Rome. He says, I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Paul has been commissioned to bring the gospel, the hope, in order to bring others as an offering, and he refers to himself as a priest. All kinds of reflections back to what was taking place in Leviticus. And here's the reality. You you are called to this priestly function too. You and I are are called to this this ministry of reconciliation, Paul describes it, restoring a lost world to the one who can atone for their sin. Everyone who has had a genuine encounter with God has had to come face to face uh, with our own sinfulness, unrighteous, wicked, unholy. And in that realization, we are invited to cry out to Jesus, I need you to wash me. I need you to cleanse me. I need to be made holy by you. Paul, Galatians chapter 3, writes, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. He goes on, he writes, Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, 
For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Restored. An unholy people to a holy God made holy by the work that Jesus has done. Paul says if, if we confess our sins, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so, and so we, come, we come to the Lord's table on a regular basis to be reminded, to be reminded that, that, that it was involved and it was costly. What God did in order to, to atone for our sin. And it was effective in restoring us in relationship to God and to inviting us to be priests before him. Desiring to even emulate God in his goodness, in his greatness. And so it reminds us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, if you have your bread, if you have your cup, you can have it ready. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread from the Passover meal. And that meal reminded the Jewish people that God heard their cry when they were caught in bondage, when they were slaves under the heavy hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. God heard their cry and resolved not just to rescue them from slavery and sin, but he resolved to dwell with them. To make this possible, he himself would atone for our sin. And, and, and Jesus says, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Let's us take and eat the bread together. After the meal, the Lord, Lord Jesus took the cup from the Passover table. And Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin, take and drink in remembrance of me. Let's just drink together. Apostle Paul tells us that we become proclaimers in the, in the recollection of this event. We proclaim the Lord's death, and in that we proclaim his restoration. It's available to all who will turn to Jesus and be saved.